Welcome to the Modes of Mouth podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Did you know that Motor Mouth is on Patreon? Yes, you can support your favourite podcast if you want. And in return, we've got some great goodies and bonus content to give you. Just search Motor Mouth Official on Patreon, where there are three levels of membership. Become a Motor Mouth companion for just £5 per month with our eternal thanks, early access to all podcast episodes, ad-free. If you fancy going for £7.50 per month and becoming a Motormouth associate, that means you can ask your own questions to our guests as well as enjoy ad-free early access to every single podcast. And if you're an absolute Motormouth legend and want to do £10 per month, you will get an official Motormouth baseball cap, a personal thank you on the actual show from us, and everything else, including ad-free early access and the opportunity to ask a question. Just search Motormouth Official on Patreon or follow the links in the detail of this podcast. Your support means everything to us and keeps us going, so thank you. Before we kick off with today's guest, we must tell you about our Season 5 sponsors and the great team over at Motus One. Sponsors are vital for our survival and ensure we can continue to bring you interviews with the biggest names in racing. So if you or your company require event transportation, Dana and his team at Motus One has you covered anywhere in the world. From a single chauffeur-driven sedan to a fleet of luxury SUVs, Teslas or motor coaches, find your transportation solution with Motus One. With offices worldwide, including the Middle East, Europe and Africa, they can support your transportation needs regardless of your location. Motus One is committed to world-class service at the best possible rates to ensure your event goes without a hitch. Contact them at motusone.com. We'll put all their social links in the podcast description. And a massive thanks to Dana, their CEO and founder, for having faith in our show and joining us for season five. Now, on with today's episode. This week on the Motormouth Podcast, we caught up with former F1 man and double Formula E champion Jean-Eric Verne. From joining the Red Bull programme, broken promises, the ups and downs with Dr. Helmut Marko, to finding his place in Formula E and much, much more. Jev opens up on his whole career in a really mature and honest look back. It was a privilege to chat through it with him. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like it, please do leave us a review. It really helps us to get bigger and enjoy. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now, before we introduce today's guest, I need to head over to Essex where I find my trusted colleague in a new part of the house. He's out of the cupboard and appears to be in a very professional looking setup. And if you're watching this on YouTube, he's actually in a studio by the look of it. Harry Benjamin, how are you? Yeah, do not be fooled. The powers of a green screen, but I have moved out of my little cupboard that I've been recording in since lockdown began. So it's nice to actually have a bit of daylight on my face for a change and not be cramped into a tiny, what was a suitcase cupboard. Um, so uh, yeah, nice to be out of the cupboard and still in your shed, I see. I'm still in the shed, but I intend yeah. to get a fancy green screen like you so I can put myself in the studio because I feel yeah, they're all the rage completely these days. inadequate now. Um, anyway, shall I introduce today's guest? Oh, I think so. So we continue to bring you the biggest names in motorsport, and today is no exception. Jean-Éric Verne is a back-to-back Formula E champion, having won season four and season five. His rise to motorsport fame came after learning his craft since the tender age of four, before going on to race in single-seaters when Red Bull snapped him up on their junior team. He's raced in British F3, Formula Renault 3.5, WEC, among others, and of course, Formula One. He's now involved with our friends over at Veloce Esports and Veloce Racing, heavily involved with their Extreme E entry. We're delighted to have him here. Jean-Eric Verne, welcome to the Motormouth podcast. Hi, guys. Hi. 
Cheers for joining us, Jeff. Round of applause for you. Um, so how's, you know, we, we start with all our guests. How's the last sort of year been for you uh, on a personal level, you know, with lockdown and, and COVID and everything going on, that mad last four races of the Formula E season? It must, is it all a bit of a blur? It's a bit of a blur. And uh, to be honest, it's a year I will try not to, not to remember. Uh, you know, being locked up in, in a house for, for a very long time not being able to race um, and then having, you know, all those uh, six remaining races in Berlin or in one go uh, in, in this bubble. Um, yeah, it was definitely not the best, uh, not the best year, that's for sure. Uh, I can't wait to uh, for this to be over. I heard uh, some good news in, in the UK that yes. apparently uh, action is coming. So, you know, I, I think we see the, the light at the end of this tunnel and uh, I can't wait, to, you know, for things to, to resume normally. 100%. Of course, you just finished doing um, pre-season testing for the new Formula E season. Um, but let's take it right back to the beginning. We mentioned earlier you started racing when you were four years old. So what happened to uh, to get you into that? What drove you to become a racing driver from, from the very beginning? Uh, very, very easy. I mean, I, I grew up, I was born on a karting track. My parents own a, a karting track. They still do. Uh, it's near Paris. And... Uh, I, I don't even remember because, I, you know, when you're too young, you, your memory don't work. You know, you start working at four or five years old, everything before it's, it's just you can see it on the pictures. And uh, from what I can see on the pictures, is that I was holding a, a steering wheel of a go-kart already on my dad's knee. And I had my first go-kart, I think I was five years old. So I never actually asked myself, what do I want to do with my life later on? It was always clear to me that I wanted to... Uh, to race um, and uh, yeah I have this feeling since the very young age it, it seems like if you're born basically at a kart track you don't have much of a choice you are going to be a racing driver now looking at your um, we were researching your your racing CV which is mightily impressive it was your early career in the junior categories as smooth as it appears or were there any major road bumps along the way I had a I had a I had a few ones Obviously, when I came into uh, the French Formula 4, the uh, championship went very well. I won the championship halfway in the season. And uh, um, and then I needed to find uh, sponsors because my parents, uh, my dad already sold his, his Porsche Boxster to uh, to pay for, for a bit of a season and some private testing. Good old dad. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and I, could not, um, I could not go in, in Formula Renault uh, Eurocup. The, the season by then was between 400 to 500,000 euros and... Uh, Kelly, we, we didn't have that, that, that amount of money to, to be put into into racing. And uh, luckily, I got um, tested by Red Bull. Uh, we were 20 drivers in, in Estoril, and um, two were Daniel Ricciardo and myself. And then the first year of uh, Formula 1, two liters, it was, I think, probably one of my most difficult years in, in sports. I, I was... Um, up against very, very strong guys. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, there was Bottas, there was... Uh, uh, Andrea Caldarelli, it was a very strong season. And um, I was not ready. I was not ready for, for Formula 1 or 2 litres. And uh, Kelly was um, yeah, a difficult one. And at the end, I got Elwood Marco calling me and says, uh, if you don't make a podium uh, before the end of the season, you're fired. Oof. That was two races remaining. Was, were, so... you, were, you, were you not ready because of your mentality or because of your driving ability at that point? Of everything, uh, mentality. Um, you know, I, I come from a, a you know normal background, and um, and uh, I, um, I arrived in, in in the Red Bull Junior team, and I saw myself already in F1. You know, 
I was big head, um, yeah, not 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 walking enough, and uh, thinking that the talent was going to be sufficient. But uh, uh, from the very first races, I got uh, submerged by. Uh, you know, my teammate. It was difficult to to climb back up and and to uh, to reset. And during the season, it, it was not possible. But uh, at the end of that year, I, I was able to make two podiums. So Red Bull uh, signed me for another year in in the same team, same championship, uh, which went obviously much better. Um, and, and then I arrived in British Formula Three. Who wanted to take me out of France? Wanted to take me out of this French cocoon from the French team. Everything. And I arrived at, at, at Carlin. And I think this year was probably clearly one of my strongest years in, in motorsport 2010. Uh, Booties F3. I was in, uh, in Milton Keynes doing a lot of work at uh, the road simulator. And yeah, I was, uh, I mean, I absolutely loved. Um, I won, I think, 13 or 14 races that uh, that season. Um, I got... Uh, um, I got promoted to um, World Series by Honor at the end of that year already for doing the last races. And I found, again, Daniel Ricciardo as my teammate. The, <laughs> you can't shake him. And uh, I almost got fired once more. <laughs> <laughs> There's a theme appearing. Uh, the three races, I think I had one win on the arms and uh, the, the last race was in the wet. And uh, Daniel Ricciardo went to either win or finish second in the, in the championship versus uh, Alishin. And uh, I was starting, I think, 14th. Uh, then I was starting second or third. Um, and it was my first time in, on the wet, you know, with this big car, a lot of horsepower. So it was, you know, a curve for me. I had nothing to, nothing to win, nothing to, nothing to lose. But then in race, I was, you know, feeling very good and I was coming up, coming up, coming up. The team asked me to, to pit. I didn't want to. I said, no, I feel good. I continue. And I only knew why they wanted me to pit is because they knew that I would exit in front of Daniel if I would have continued. So I exited in front of Daniel, new tires, um, and and Daniel uh, they asked me to to let Daniel by, but already when they asked me, he was half a straight behind. And the time to negotiate with the team and saying, okay, do you want me to do it or not? And I don't understand. I'm much faster. He was being overtaken by Alishin and he lost the championship oh, in my position. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought at that stage I was going to get fired. Uh, <laughs> but, but, crucially, you didn't get fired. <laughs> no, I didn't get fired, yeah. But when did, so when did F1 start to become more and more a reality for you? Obviously, you got that first test in, in 2010. So was that when you were starting to think, okay, I can, I can push it to, to actually be a fully-fledged Formula One driver? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the first test was in Toroso, and then uh, 2011 was with Red Bull. Mm. And I think the test uh, went very well. They were happy with the work I was doing in, in the simulator, and the performance in, in the car were good also. In World Series, Formula 3, I had uh, good results. And um, I remember I was actually not Helmut uh, telling me that I was going to be uh, racing in one. I was supposed to make another season in 2012 uh, in World Series by Renault, and I was supposed to drive for Dams um, with Jean-Paul Drio. And uh, I was in contact with Jean-Paul already, and uh, and uh, three weeks later, Jean-Paul called me uh, an evening, I said, Jeff, I'm very worried. I don't have any news from uh, from Helmut. Uh, what's happening? Uh, I don't understand. The contract was ready to be signed. And I said nothing. I said, I, I don't know. And then I hung up. I was like, 
okay, I mean, that means I must be in if he, uh, Helmut didn't sign my deal in, in World Series. And the morning after 7 a.m., Helmut called me and said, uh, you're in F1. Oh, God. And <gasps> how, how did that feel, like realizing that dream and suddenly you're, you're an F1 driver? Can you remember the emotions that you felt? Yeah, I was extremely, extremely happy, obviously. Um, but there was one thing I did not consider when I, when I came in F1 was that I was not going to be in the, in the top team. And yeah. that is the, my biggest mistake coming in F1 was not realizing um, this earlier. Uh, you know, going into also, I remember the, the second race, first race I did, I was in the points. I forgot to activate the DRS in the last red line. I lost, I lost one point. But, and second race was in the rain in Malaysia. I finished uh, eighth. So my first points in F1. And I crossed the line. I was like, Happy, but I mean nothing, no, nothing special, you know. And, and I came back in the garage, and everybody was so happy, cheering and uh, shouting, and uh, and this is uh, this is when for me the, the real problem for in F1 started because I was like, it's it's not, I mean, it's not for me. And, and I had on my side then Ricardo that was always happy, always smiling. It doesn't matter if he finished sixth, eighth, or last. It was the happy guy, smiley, and and I was the this guy, you know, that I always wanted more, and I could not get more from this car. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and this was my my biggest uh, issue, I think, in F1, uh, <laughs> not realizing, you know, take your time, be happy with an eighth position, be happy with with those results, smile, you an F1 driver. I, you know, I wanted more straight away, and obviously, uh, which uh, which I never did. Even though it wasn't a front-running car, the first time you got in that car, pulled out of the pits, or the first time you took off from a, a grid and put your foot down, was it a shock to you? How much power was at your disposal? What what was the feeling like of being in that car for the first time? Uh, yeah, the power was something extremely impressive in the first. Uh, Actually, the, the first out I had in F1 was in uh, in Goodwood, um, and in the in the Herpil, yep. and uh, going down the hill, I hit 12 engine, I think, cross walls from Red Bull, or I don't remember, and I decided, so I put full throttle, and it was the first time I had carbon brake disc, I didn't know you needed to warm them up, you know. <laughs> I don't know who it was, if it was Lewis or the, the, the McLaren reserve driver, but it was in this beautiful uh, MP, I don't know which one, the one of Senna uh, yeah. in front of uh, He must have seen me coming with the wheel completely locked. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first time I had a taste of uh, of the speed of an F1 car. Yeah, then in Abu Dhabi, I was very impressed. But this impression of speed disappeared after after a run run already. Uh, what, what really was impressive was, you know, the braking power. Um, I, I remember the... The second day when I woke up, I had my, it's like a, a train drove on my body the whole night. And I, I need to walk that neck. <laughs> <laughs> three, three seasons in Formula One. Uh, when you look back at that final year and, and your exit from Formula One, how do you look back at that now? Well, I mean, it's it obviously, I, I really felt at the time that it was, it was not fair because I had the first year I scored more points than Ricardo. The second year I had a lot more points than Kvyat. Uh, Red Bull knew that uh, I was overweight because of uh, of the car, and Kvyat was ten kilos lighter. And ten kilos in Formula One is like three, four tenths, depending on, on the track. And um, yeah, I had just a lot more points. And um, I came back from strong races, um, and uh, they told me in in the summer that I would that I would be uh, replaced uh, by by Max. 
And obviously, I was like, okay, yeah, that's fair. I mean, two years ago or so, there is no opening in Red Bull. <laughs> there is nothing I can say. So it's fair enough. You know, thank you for for mm. for the the help you you gave me to be uh, to be in F1. And uh, yeah, tough luck. Yeah. And mm. then doing the question, I say, but if there is a place opening in Red Bull, would I go? And Helmut said, no, there is no place opening in Red Bull. Say, imagine there is Vettel goes. Say, yeah, yeah, then of course, then you will the next one. And uh, uh, in Japan, 2014, um, Seb uh, announced that he was going to to Ferrari, and I think Red Bull was quite uh, quite angry with uh, with uh, Seb's decision um, like this to um, tell the one that he was going to go to to Ferrari, especially they were sure he would remain at, at Red Bull, and they wanted to choose a driver very quickly to say, you know, you know what, we have enough drivers, we can replace you. And I uh, was expecting a call, you know. I was like, okay, that's my time. And I chose Kvyat. They never gave them. Um, obviously, as we know, he hasn't done, he hasn't delivered at, at Red Bull and mm. the way Red Bull wanted to. Um, and um, then there was, of course, uh, a free seat then in Toro also. And on the whole Toro team, Constance pushed very hard for me to, to stay, but then Carlos Sainz arrived and... A bit of a roller coaster, but never mind. I mean, it was uh, a very good end of the season for me. I was very happy. I had some strong results. And uh, then there was a lot of Jules also in Japan. So it was a very weird weekend. And, you know, after that, I saw, okay, maybe F1 is, um, is not for me. I, I might need to, to think of doing something else. Uh, but then, you know, you're a young driver. You, you know you had the potential to to be doing a great job in, in Formula 1, you didn't get the chance, or either your fault or not your fault, but the result is the same. I didn't have the chance I wanted to in F1. And uh, for the next two years, you're kind of thinking, maybe I, maybe I want to things differently, but uh, there, there are a lot yeah. of young drivers uh, with huge potential that deserve more your seat than you. You know, you had the chance. Yeah, you know, it's it's, especially at Red Bull, it's it's a cutthroat business. But you you did move on and you went to Formula E and you, you arrived at Formula E when it was still a pretty well, it was a very very new championship. What was your impression of the series when you you first got there? Did you think you know what's this electric business all about, or were you immediately um, into it? No, I so I came back from Abu Dhabi and I had just signed my new manager because. Um, with Red Bull, they didn't want to have to deal with, with any manager. You know, they put you a contract, yeah. sign it. You know, happy, you know, go back to school. So, <laughs> uh, so I never had a manager. And um, I um, discussed a lot with Alain, with Checo, and, and they, they, you know, they all told me, Julian Jacobi is, is the man you should, uh, you should be having. And uh, I had a discussion with, uh, with Julian Jacobi and, and signed him as, as my manager. And... Um, we sat down and said, okay, what can we do? There was, there was Toyota um, uh, LM program, um, LMP1 program. Uh, didn't go through. Um, and then there was nothing else. So I was like, uh, <laughs> okay, cool. we need to find something because I might go crazy here. Uh, and he called me one night. It was, uh, I think, a Monday night or Tuesday night. And I said, what do you think about Formula E? The electric service? I don't know. I honestly had no idea. I didn't watch any. There were pieces already I watched. I just saw the crash of, of Nick Eiffel. Um, and um, 
I was like, yeah, why not? And said there is a, a seat available for one race uh, in uh, in Andretti. So do you want to do it? I say, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, how much how much they're paying? And say, oh, they don't pay. Okay. I was like, you know what? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. When is that? You take, you have your ticket. You're leaving tomorrow morning. I say, what? <laughs> Where? <laughs> Where is that? Uruguay. Okay, not. <laughs> <laughs> a quick interruption of the show to remind you to check out our season five podcast sponsors motus one the event transportation company motus one is the industry leader in complex transportation management from hospitality talent production crews vips and artist transportation motus one's team have you covered they've also just launched their leading edge cloud-based event transportation management system motus ride Now you can manage your entire event transport program digitally, making bookings, allocate rides, create approval processes, see reports, track costs, and loads more. Head over to motusone.com and hear how they can support your event transportation needs. So I arrived in in Uruguay and completely out of the blue, you know, this guy coming out of F1, I didn't know what I was thinking back then. It was like, okay, some fun, let's let's see what this is all about. The... Uh, pre-practice, I really, ha- I really struggled with that car, car to drive, you know, sliding, over staying on the steering, the talk, the, 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 the lack of the noise was in me at the beginning, and it was weird. The Michael uh, um, came to see me before the uh, for the qualifying and said, you know, if you're doing them, I sign you for the rest of the season. I was like, okay, that's okay, great. I mean, went on to do my, my job in qualifying and I put the car on pole by three tenths. And then my <laughs> and then my manager called before the before the qualifying he said, Okay, don't don't discuss with Michael, just do the job, uh, do what you know best and, and let me deal with that. I was like, okay, fine. The race goes on, so obviously everybody and, and, and there was Helmut actually at that race, Helmut Marco. And uh, he told me I didn't know you were fast in qualifying and I got very angry. <laughs> Because he knew I always had, I always carried 10 more kilos than, than my teammate Kiviat in F1. And uh, he knew that. And they were around with people. And I replied to him straight away, you know, like this. So maybe since then he doesn't like me anymore. I don't know if he ever did, but uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you turn up to Formula E, Jeff, you stick it on pole position. First of all, I suppose you weren't, didn't really expect that. So what, was your, what were your expectations to begin with of Formula E? And how did you see, you know, electric sustainable racing in that whole world back then well i had no view on this uh, sustainability and, and the importance of what we do as uh, at formula e. no vision at all it all came later on uh but you know in in f1 when i was doing the perfect qualifying lap the car was perfectly set up and i was very happy i would end up being nine tens or elevens on the grid I was always like, oh, God, I mean, what if I had this car? And it was kind of, you know, sometimes I wish I had the same car as the other guys, uh, you know, to prove that I can beat those guys. And coming in Formula E, it felt like I was running uh, for, for the last few years with a backpack full of stone and that I've, out of a sudden I removed that backpack and I started to feel flying. And that's what happened in, in, in this verifying. Everybody had the same car and it was all about the driver. Yeah. Especially uh, in, in the beginning, it was really... You know the, the the driver could make the, the difference, and um, and then the race the, the race went on. I was I was second, 
Bimi was going to have a, a penalty because I tried to pass him many times and he cut the chicane like three times in a row to to protect his position. Uh, so I was running second, eventually li- li- winning the race. And in the last lap, I had a suspension failure. <laughs> yeah. My bad luck, like, you know, started <laughs> to follow me. <laughs> then I had many other races where I was on pole, and uh, then the, the the car, and the second kind would not switch on, and uh, yeah, it was like okay, the, the speed is there, but the, the luck is still not there. Yeah. Uh, and then after that race, um, my um, my uh, my manager uh, um, negotiated a, a nice deal with Andretti. And and the rest, as they say, is history. You know, you're now a double Formula E champion world champion and uh, countless polls and wins so it's worked out pretty well for you um but along the way of course you've uh, you've had a few tasty bits of team radio which we're now gonna do a short little quiz with you jev if you wouldn't mind um Tim, if you'd like to do the introductory music please here we go this i know this is going to be the highlight of your career forget your two world championship formula e's this is it so prepare yourself here we go harry over to you so, Jeff, it's pretty simple. We've got four bits of team radio to play you. We're going to play you one at a time, and it's basically a say what you hear. Just give us a bit of context about what you're talking about, and then there's a bonus question at the end. There's a big, long leaderboard. Uh, at the moment, there are 14 points up for grabs, and it is Alexander Sims who currently leads the way. So, really, that's a, a big rival you've got to beat there as well. Uh, we've also got Dil Baggill on there. We've got a couple of Red Bull guys as well, who I'm sure you'll take absolute pleasure in beating. Um, so, Jev, are you ready for your first bit of team radio? Okay. Let's do it. Here we go. Here it comes. Number one. Body uh, that win, guys. Could have had it without this bloody full course shadow. Thank you so much. Looking at where we were yesterday, you guys did a fantastic job and, and thank you for making the car amazing. That's all you get. So very nice thanks at the end, but what was happening there? Uh, where was that? Well, that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Um, okay, so that was a race where I finished second, uh, ended up in the full course yellow. Obviously, I was coming back because I had a good car. I was saying I'm, I'm happy with the car. He did a good job. Um, uh, coming back from yesterday's... So that means that there was a, a, a good event. There was a race. In, in or maybe not, there was a lot of problems. But Paris, I think, finished under full course yellow, but I could not win that one. He's struggling, isn't he? I will give you one clue. It was in the 2019 season. Oh, how's it? Not 2019-20, but 2018-19. Season five. Season five. Do I have my trophies from season five so I can remember? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like Googling. It's Jeff's version of Googling. <laughs> No, no, let me think, let me think. Um, not Hong Kong, not Marques. You, you look in Europe, somewhere in Europe. Going to have to push you for an answer. Okay, I know, I know, I know, I know. It was Berlin. Ah. Uh, he won the race. He's got it, he's got it. Okay, because you've had a bit of help there, I'm going to give you two out of three points on that one. I'm feeling generous, generous, very generous. Can't give you the full three, I'm afraid. Okay, let's move on to clip number two. Have a listen to this. Here we go. Oh, Nico Ferris is going to Oh, Nico Oh, no way. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was um, that was with Andre Lotera in the pit lane, uh, making the commentary in Hong Kong. Yeah. And what what bit were you uh, commentating on? Though you were watching 
then I was commenting the uh, Buemi argument, uh, but yeah, the, this one was uh, Nikhil Feldhaus. Correct. Yes, spot on. Three out of three. What? Four, because you don't even need, needed to finish the, 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 the radio bit that I knew what it was. You knew it straight away. You've, you've redeemed yourself. You've redeemed yourself. Okay, here we have your penultimate bit of radio. Have a listen to this. Here we go. C'était une blague, cette voiture. C'est pas la même. C'est un scandale, 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 scandale. <laughs> <laughs> Scandal. I, I think the word scandalous is not used enough uh, in, uh, by racing drivers. But Jeff, tell us what you think's going on there. Um, that was my second car, Citroen uh, Four, in Berlin at that race, and there was a big problem with it. And uh, I just went backward and backward and backward and backward. And basically, it was not regenerating. It was causing a lot of oversteer. And I ended up saying that uh, my car, uh, and, I, and I talked in French. Uh, I said that my car felt like driving a mini car. It was a scandal. <laughs> now you put, uh, you know, the GIF on on, um, on Instagram. You put yeah. it's the scandal, scandal. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! You've got it there. Three out of three once again. Okay, here is your final bit of team radio. It's looking good for getting up the up the up the standings. So let's see if we can get another three points on the board. Have a listen to this. Here we are. That is a really hard one. That's it's a really one. hard to hear on that. Do you want to hear it one more time? Yeah, please. Okay, here we go. That's a hard one. That is hard. Really hard one. Oh, wow. What, what series do you think you're in there? What championship? That is definitely... Not uh, Formula E. It is not Formula One because that sounded like uh, it is Formula One. Harry, stop giving very me well clues. guessed. <laughs> <laughs> Formula One. Uh, Formula One. What am I saying? Am I screaming? Am I? You're, you're, you're having an issue. Oh, it's a really tough one without giving it away. What what clue can I give you? Um, so we're in F1, and the clue I'm going to give you is that it was in your fi- in, no, in 2013 in the 2013 season. So good luck with that. It's a long time to think back. <laughs> Have a stab in the dark. Just oh. any, give me a give me a racetrack. At 2013, so it was not 2014. Mate, I don't know. <laughs> We've got him. No? Nah. Nothing? No. Oh, so, Jev, that one, you are apparently, according to uh, the description I read, you're suffering a puncture in your Toro Rosso at Spa in 2013. Does that ring any bells? No. <laughs> no. There we go. Well, we'll write that last one off. <laughs> Nil point. Okay. You can redeem yourself with this bonus question. Final one at you. How many points... Did you score in your first Formula E season with Andretti? Now, we're allowing plus or minus five. So if you can get five other side, you get the point. But how many points did you end the season with? Five. Oh, good I'm afraid not. It was 70. Now, so th- pretty decent. That, that is not a good end. So I, Not I, a good I, end, I, but I, hang on. On. Let me do the maths. One, two, three. Going to be quite far down the leaderboard here. Yeah. Okay. Now, bear in mind this leaderboard of about 40 people. Jev, you've scored eight points, which puts you, I'm afraid, just above. 
above Johnny Herbert in 31st position. <laughs> so congratulations with that. I have no, I, I cannot take any pride from it because if you are putting the, the, the radio of Johnny Herbert, it was like 40 years ago. Yeah. I don't know how many years. So must have <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll be amazed though. Actually, his memory was pretty poor. Um, but Jeff, thank you for Motormouth. Now, look, we've just got a few more uh, quick fire questions uh, to throw at you before we let you get on with the rest of your day. Um, tell us a bit more, firstly, though, about your involvement with Veloce, of course. We had Rupert and Daniel from, from Veloce on. We, you know, it's brilliant what they're trying to do, all, covering all angles, really. So tell us a bit about what your role is there and, and where you see that heading. Uh, I mean, my role at Veloce, I remember we were sitting all here actually on, on this couch uh, uh, with uh, with Stan, with Rupert, with the guys, and and uh, I just came I just came back that day from um, from a meeting with Alejandro Agag, where he was explaining to me about Extreme, uh, uh, and uh, I told them I think we should do it together at, at Veloce, and uh, I think we all sat down, we all agreed, I said okay, let's do this, and. Uh, and then they were able to uh, work some magic, find the, the, the right people uh, to run this team. And um, yeah, it's going very well. We're testing now uh, some uh, some drivers. Uh, going to announce quite soon. We announced uh, Jamie Chadwick, obviously. Yeah. She's been in the Veloce family for a very long time. Um, and uh, yeah, I have a very good, you know, strong relationship with, with Rupert. He was my teammate in, uh, in uh, British F3. And... Uh, it's funny, I always thought that one day I would do business with him. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. We, him, we got good value out of him and Daniel when they came on the show. Now, uh, when you were um, go, growing up, did you, have an Id- did you have an idol or a hero or someone you particularly looked up to in the sport? Tell you a quick story about Rupert. Oh, yes, please. I answer your question. We were in, uh, in Spa in um, a race uh, of British history. And uh, you remember those bracelet power band? You know, the yeah, thing yeah. that you know, and, uh, and he contacted those guys and he made a deal with them and we see them a lot for free. And that was kind of his sponsor. So I saw Power Brand on, on the cars. Oh, they they give him money. I said, no, 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 no. They give me bracelet, but now I sell them. And every <laughs> mechanic of the team, even Trevor Carlin, my dad even, everybody bought a bracelet to him. And it was at the real price. Yeah. I was thinking by then, I said, mate, you should not be a racing driver. You should be a businessman. Yeah. Right? <laughs> little hustler. Oh, yeah. dear. We're going to bring that one up for sure. Um, so, yeah, come, growing up, was, was there someone you looked up to? Or, and is there still someone you, you look up to in respect, in, whether it be racing or otherwise? Uh, in Formula One, not, not so much because, I, honestly, when I was doing karting, I was not even watching Formula One races. It was, uh, it was not something. My dad always told me that, uh, you know, I, I could never make it. it it didn't want me to dream. It didn't want um, you know me to have a a dream that would that would crash, therefore be disappointed for for the rest of my life. So he always made sure to not to make me think too much about F1. So I, I had uh, people that are, that inspired me, and but they were in karting and not in F1. Yeah. Okay. And and a little birdie told me that you're a talented man outside of racing. You play the piano, is this right? Is this one of your hidden talents? Do you have any other hidden talents we don't know about? Uh, no, I used to play piano. I'm, I'm not sure I play well, but I play well anymore, you know. Um, hidden talents, I don't know. I don't know. Are you, how's, how's your cooking? 
Ah, that, that, that's that's definitely not hidden. <laughs> it's just not there, non-existent. What about the, what about on the, the flip side? What what do you absolutely crap at? Like you're you're obviously a very good racing driver. You're a businessman. What are you useless at? Many things. I mean, now that I think about about many things, uh, useless at cooking. I mean, honestly, I, I bought a nice kitchen in my home. I, I don't. I should not even have a kitchen. <laughs> Who needs a kitchen? Who needs a kitchen? As long as I have my place for my for my coffee machine. Very uh, important. Yeah, and that's all I need in the in the, in the fridge, of course, for the drinks. Uh, yeah. Get rid yeah. of the kitchen. We don't we don't need a kitchen. Now, listen, Jeff. You 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 said yourself, and you've said it in other interviews that. You went through a period where you were a bit of an angry man. You weren't that happy with things, you know, particularly in Formula One. Um, if you could start again, what would you say to your 15, 16-year-old self? Would you have done anything differently or would you have taken the same path? I would not talk to him like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think, you know, this is the beauty of life also is to make mistakes, um, is to do the wrong choice sometimes, to find yourself in the situation where you're in today. And uh, and maybe if I would have done things different, I would not be in a happy position where I am today. So, you know, I'm thankful for, for all the things that, that happened, uh, especially the bad ones, because that's what defined me, um, the difficulties that, that I had. And today I'm extremely happy in, uh, you know, well, the position I'm in. Um, there is nothing I, I, I would like to change. Obviously, getting more wins uh, if there is something I, I'd like to change. But um, no, I would probably say to, to enjoy a bit more life and not to take things too seriously sometimes. Now, listen, we've got a, a final three which we ask all of our guests and they throw up a, a, a different array of answers every time and, and you can answer them in any way you like. Harry, do you want to take the first one? Yes, Jev, what has got you excited at the moment? Uh, my girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> I don't know whether to take, I don't know how to take that one. Is it, he's genuinely very pleased to have a girlfriend or she's actually getting him excited right now? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to put the, um, the explicit thing on the podcast now. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to change um, uh, what gets me excited at the moment. Um, Obviously, the the racing season coming. Uh, you know, it's always as a racing driver, it's very long. Um, it's a long wait. So yeah, I'm excited about starting again, and then I have this this uh, other project that I'm working on. I'm very excited about to to launch it, uh, and that should uh, come soon. Okay, what is said project? Can you tell us any more? Uh, in a few words, yeah, it's uh, a non-alcoholic spirit. CBD spirit, actually. Okay. Oh, uh, yep. Uh, it's it's technically a drink that, you know, you can feel some functional effects without the morning after waking up feeling uh, feeling bad. Sounds amazing. Sign me up. Um, if right. not doing what you are doing now, what would you have done? I don't know. Uh, there was never a backup plan. No, 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 no. no. Fair enough. I think that's a common answer, I think, because I think if you're going to be a racing driver, you've got Single to have that, that straight focus, haven't you, to, to, to achieve that. The moment you have a backup plan, this is when you don't focus anymore on your A yeah. plan. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, no, very well said. And final question for you, Jeff. What are you scared of? I was going to say the girlfriend again. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> um, what I'm, at, I'm the most afraid of, um, failure. Yeah. Well, Jean-Eric Verne, I think you, your career it, on paper looks, you know, you've achieved so much. But also, I think, you, you know, the way you speak about the mistakes you've made, the things you look back and how, you, how your career and how your life has progressed is, is really quite motivational and inspiring. So it's been an absolute pleasure to hear from you and your journey so far. Um, and we wish you the best of luck, of course, in the upcoming Formula E season, as well as any other ventures coming up. And we know you do race in the world endurance as well. Um, so Jean-Eric Verne, thank you so much for coming onto the Motormouth podcast. Thank you, bye-bye. Before you hop off, one final reminder to check out the guys and girls at Motors One, your new transportation solution for minor, mega and signature events anywhere in the world. Motors One simplifies the complex process of event transportation and provides clients with unrivaled service and support to ensure your event's transportation needs are fulfilled. Check them out today at motorsone.com and if you tell them you found them through the Motormouth podcast, you'll get up to 20% off your first booking. Now, doesn't that sound good? Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth podcast.